a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. Hey, hey, good morning, everybody. Allergies are the best. Should put some auto tune on that for the actual podcast version. Allergies are the best. (laughs) I know a lot of people love it, but it's it's not for me, but that's okay. Hey, good morning. Good morning. It is Saturday, April 24th. It is 8.32 a.m., so we're just a couple minutes late. Sorry, guys. Had some, uh... We keep saying when I have things. Little weird thing here, little weird thing there, but it's okay. It's going. We're up and running. We're good. It is lesson number 11, or this is, I suppose. This is lesson number 11 on the study, the gospel according to John. We're getting into chapter 6. We're going to do the first 15 verses of chapter 6, and this one is entitled Bread and Fish. And you might commonly have heard this referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. Hey, Vicki, good morning. So we're, we're going to dig into this. This is a, it's, it's an exciting thing. It is, it is basically the only miracle that Jesus is recorded performing because it was such a big one uh, that it is detailed in all four of the Gospels. It is completely detailed. So um, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool one. Let's dig into this today. We're going to be looking at this, of course, through the English Standard Version. No, we are not sponsored by the English Standard Version Bible. I just really prefer that that translation. Uh, it's very direct and clean. Um, yeah, it's just a good translation. So here we go. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where can we buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew that what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This this doesn't really break down. We basically get the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, that is that is what we're looking at today. But there's a lot in this, and it's a pretty hefty section. Um, we're going to go through it pretty quick today, though, I think. But it is it is still a pretty hefty session. So I just wanted us to, to focus on this and not try to, to take too much at one time. I think that's one thing that we have a tendency to try to do when we're studying, when we have a, a study session with the Word, is a lot of times we'll try to take too much of a chunk. Maybe there's more to be seen and more for us to grasp, and and there's a bit that we need to, to chew on and let the Holy Spirit really work into us. And so we should study smaller sections sometimes. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's okay to read a little bit more. But this one I, I really think is one where... It's just a good idea to, to take some time and let this one sink in for a little bit. So this miracle is covered, like we said, in all four Gospels. It's in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, and then obviously John chapter 6. So it's, it's in all four. This miracle shows Jesus' ability to fulfill needs, right, to fulfill, right, like the Father in a similar fashion to the manna in the wilderness. And I know this. maybe this is something that you haven't considered before. We just thought it was kind of a cool thing. Jesus made five loaves of bread and two fish feed 5,000 people. By itself is an amazing feat, right? It's an amazing thing and shows shows God's character right there and how he works and how Jesus is God. It's, it's amazing. But the feeding in the wilderness with manna is a foreshadowing of Jesus doing this. And this is a like of that. So it's just kind of a cool thing to to catch on to and recognize that God does tend to work in similar ways. He shows us his character so that we can see the character be revealed through Jesus. It's a pretty amazing thing. Also, chapter 6 in a, in its whole, in its entirety, and and this is kind of an amazing thing in it, in, a, in and of itself. Considering who John was, this is an amazing thing, right? But we look at chapter 6. And chapter 6 has a lot of correlations with Numbers chapter 11. Now, I, I want to say that this is kind of a, a spectacular thing. Consider, consider this. Even the early, at that point, Jesus recognized the canonization of the, the Jewish scriptures, right? He recognized the books of the Jewish Bible. They Those were already done. They were canonized. They were recognized. That's what that was. And it's still the same today as it was then. So those were already there. But chapters and verse numbers were not. That was not a thing at this, at this point. And so when the writing of this came out, again, chapters and verses were not a thing. So for the chapter 6 of John to correlate so much with a single chapter in the book of Numbers is a pretty fascinating thing to me. That indicates God's hand working wonders throughout this as well. Maybe that's just me getting kind of geeky in it. I don't know, but I, I think it's a pretty neat thing. All right, let's, let's get into this. Let's get started. Verse 1, after this. After this, this is an, it's easy to assume that this is directly following the conversation with the Jewish leaders that were in the ending of chapter 5. Not likely the case, though. This is just an after this is just sometime after. 
right? Sometime after. It would be a, a good way to phrase that. Sometime after this, um, some actually put it about up to a year out. They say it could be nearly a year following that. Uh, others say it's right around six months based on what they think was going on or, or what festival they were going to, um, you know, what was all being held at. Some are, are pretty firm. It's around six months. Some put it out to nearly a year out. So keep in mind, this was some time afterwards. This was likely six to six to nine months after. But it could have been up to a year afterwards. So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he spent some time in Galilee, and he went to the other side of that, the sea there, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, by the way, the sea, this is not a sea. This is, this is a lake. You have the Jordan River, and it's essentially a gigantic lake. It's a big lake. And so they, would, they considered it a sea, and they called it a sea, but it was actually a lake. And it's a lake that is fed through the Jordan, and Jordan comes in from one end and then goes down and exits out of the other end. It is really a lake that is fed by the, uh, fed by the River Jordan. Now, this lake or sea is quite big. In modern era, modern time, it measures 7 miles wide, or 11.3 kilometers, and 13 miles long, or 21 kilometers. This is a big lake. It really is a good-sized lake. And all of the stuff that they would do on this, when they would, you know, go across it, they would row. They would paddle. They would row across the lakes. And that's a lot to go across. That's a lot of rowing to get seven miles wide. And that's if they're going straight across and not doing a diagonal, in which case it could have easily been 10 miles, you know, seven to 10 miles across. Anyway, so Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. So a large crowd of People were following Jesus because, and John gives us great indication as to why they were following him, because they saw what he was doing. They saw the signs and wonders. They saw the miracles. They saw the things that Jesus was capable of doing, and they longed for that interaction. They wanted to know what was going on, who could do such a thing, and also, could he do something like that for me and my family? We all have hurts. We all have pains. And it's a natural sensation and it's a natural desire. Can God, what can you do for me? Can you, could you do something for me? So if not recognizing that he's the Messiah yet, they just recognize this guy has got power. This guy has abilities to do things. God has granted, granted him certain gifts. Maybe he could help me, right? So it's, it makes sense that a crowd is beginning to form and beginning to follow him. Now, mountain, when it talks about goes to the mountain, Jesus went up to the mountain. This is not likely, because of the region, not likely a real reference to an actual mountain. This would be like someone from the Midwest saying, hey, did you see our mountains? <laughs> that's adorable. That's not a mountain. That's a, that's a molehill, right? No, so there's it's a nice hilly region. And so this is just a reference that he went up to one of the higher hills, most likely, and, and had a seat. Okay, so this is a, a hilly grass plain region kind of thing. And, and Jesus went up with his disciples and, and had a seat, okay, next to the sea or lake, really, but it's okay. We're not going to argue. Okay, so this is the second Passover in the gospel, and the only one that Jesus is in Galilee. We see this in verse 4. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, there we go, 
Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. All right. Five to seven, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So the, the crowd continued to follow Jesus and his disciples to the hill that Jesus was on. Jesus and his disciples were on. So Jesus tested Philip. He was using this as a teaching moment to show his disciples even more credibility of who he is and to test them and see how, how willing are they to, to follow you know, I mean, I mean, Jesus knows, right? But to give an indication to help teach them. Sometimes when we know, sometimes we still put our kids through tests and those that we're working with through tests to show them, right? Sometimes it's better to act like we don't know. Not in a lying sense, but in a sense of edification, growth, training, right? So Jesus tested him, which this correlates with Numbers chapter 11, verse 13, which says, where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. Okay, so this is correlation, right? You have a large group of people coming. It's Passover. They're, they're wanting to celebrate, right? So here we go. Denari. All right, so Philip then responds with, excuse me, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, the denarii situation here, denarii was essentially a, a single day's wage. It was a one day's worth of pay. Um, so let's just say you make, I mean, for easy numbers, $10 an hour, you wake, uh, work eight hours, it's 80 bucks, right? So eight, $80 would be the equivalent uh, at that with that math, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's I'm pushing for a $10 wage. Just <laughs> go for easy numbers, right? $80 would be the equivalent of a denarii at that point. One day's wage, not worried hourly, but a full day's wage was a denarii. And he's saying that 200 denarii, 200 days worth of wages. Now, in the Jewish system, they didn't work five days a week. They worked six days a week. They got one day of rest. So the goal was to work six days. So one week would give you six denarii, which means it would take more than 33 weeks worth of solid work to be able to afford enough bread to where everyone might even possibly get a small portion. That is a large crowd. And this correlates with numbers Chapter 11, verse 22. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? Right? Again, there's so much. There's so many people here. We, we, can't, we can't get enough. We don't have enough money. We can't get enough. Eight, eight to ten. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Here's where things get interesting, and I've heard people teach on this kind of like, 
we have definitive evidence on either direction. So let's let's just take this with uh, re- reality and language in, in tow here, okay? So let's let's get down to this. Okay, first of all, barley, loaves, and fish. Barley was incredibly cheap and very plentiful, and it was considered to be the poorest, one of the poorest of grains. I'm not going to say the poorest, but one of the poorest of grains. This was the poor family's bread. This was not the bread that people really wanted. This was, you can't afford wheat, so here's your bread, right? This is the, we're not doing great, this is all we can afford kind of thing. So this was your, your lower level bread, okay? The fish were most likely dried or preserved, possibly even pickled so that they would last. So this isn't even like a fresh fish, let's toss this on the fire and have a nice fish dinner. No, this is like dried fish jerky or pickled herring, right? This is probably not herring though, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's just a pickled fish or a dried fish. It's probably not amazing stuff. (laughs) I don't know. I can imagine. I'm not a huge fish eater for one, but I can imagine this is not amazing. This isn't like a great meal, right? This is a, you will survive on this, right? Makes me think of Crocodile Dundee. You can live on it, but, all right, I'm not finishing that. This is a Bible show. Hey, Sip and Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity, and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. And you can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. Men. Now, here's here's where people want to try to teach things kind of like they they know for certain. I'm not going to teach this as if I know for certain. I'm going to give you both sides of this, this or the, the, the gamut of what could be here. Because that's how I think we should be teaching this. I think this is good. The men sat down. Jesus said, have the people sit down, right? Verse 10, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down. Okay, men. In Greek, let's get to the original language because it's important for us to look at the original language when there's things of issues and things of concern like this. Greek, aner. Okay, this is a Greek term, aner, for men. It is a term that literally means man or an adult male to separate from a juvenile male. It can also mean husband. It means someone physically male. However... Because it is a masculine, and this is a masculine-feminine language to where they do things in masculine or they do things in feminine, this can, on somewhat rare occasions, because there are other terms that mean this more, right? But it can mean just a large group of people, okay? It can mean a large group of people. However, okay, so here's here's where we're going with this, right? Some people believe that this literally was a group of 5,000 people. Some people believe this was a much larger group of people. 
because they say the men sat down. And in the Greek language, using an air, that tends to mean, tends, not always, but usually means men and men only. It is a distinction to define against the young children, males, and the females, the women. So there is a possibility that when they say the men sat down, they were literally, John here is literally referring to males and not females. Now, the reason that people say that is because typically in the Greek, if they were going to use this as the term for people, and we just translate it into the masculine of men, right, like normal, we would see anthropos, which is another Greek term which is a masculine noun, which is why we would translate that as men, right? Men sat down, right? Man, anthropos, it's masculine. But it literally just means human. It means people. It's a large group. And it's something to differentiate people from angels or God. Like if they're referring and talking about people, it is a distinction. Like this is the people sat. Angels didn't sit. God didn't sit. People sat. Okay. But that's not the word we see here. The word we get here in the Greek is an air, man men, a distinction about them being male. So many believe that this crowd was not actually 5,000 people. They believe, especially with it being Passover and the, the verbiage and the other rest of the language going on around this, that this was families, a lot of them, and that this was potentially a fifteen to 20,000 person group following Jesus and his disciples, much larger three to four times the size. And I'm, I would say that because not all of them would be families. Not all of the husbands and wives would have children. Some of them would have one child. Some of them would have five children. You, you don't know. But if it really is a reference to just the men, this could easily be fifteen to 20,000 people. Okay, fifteen to 20,000 people. You can't feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread <clears throat> with five loaves of bread and two fish. You can't feed 5,000 people with seven, seven objects unless they're gigantically huge objects. You just can't do it. But it makes it even more impossible when you change that number to fifteen to 20,000, right? 11 to 13. Then Jesus took the loaves. Now, presumably, the, the boy gave the loaves, right? Jesus is not walking up and saying, hey, kid, give me, give me your, give me your food. Would have been, would have been offered, right? <laughs> it would not be Jesus stealing, stealing food to feed the people. That's not how this works. Okay. But Jesus was given, given the food. And so he took the food. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, I love that. You see, Jesus, God and man form, giving thanks. That's a great thing we should do. Giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told us the disciples to gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So Jesus takes the food again, presumably that it was offered. We can That's a fair... Fair indication, right? This was not just Jesus stealing stuff, okay? He blesses it. He thanks the Father for the food, right? 
thanks God for the blessing of this food. Now, this miracle directly shows the deity, not the diet. Wow, that's a fun typo. <laughs> Almost want to encourage people to go find the YouTube video of this because there's enough funny little things on this one that it's just entertaining. But this miracle in itself shows the deity of Christ. Only God can create. Okay, let's realize this. Only God can create. Everything we have ever observed in science and by science states and dictates that there is always a loss, that there is never a gain. Okay? Recognize that. Whenever we do something that burns energy, it takes energy to create, it takes more energy than what you get out of it. Right? We can't have a perpetual motion machine. We've never been able to do that. According to physics, it's not even possible. Okay? It takes more energy, it costs more energy than what you get out of it. Okay? So, according to physics, according to everything we have ever witnessed in science, which is why <clears throat> I kind of chuckle a little bit at the Big Bang Theory. We have nothing, or we have a microscopic speck of basically nothing that all of a sudden comes everything. That is something that we have seen time and time again cannot happen. According to our understanding of the laws of physics, according to everything we do in science, with observation, we can't observe that. We've never observed that. In fact, we observe the exact opposite of that. But that is not a possibility. It does not happen. Okay? This right here shows the deity of Christ. This shows Jesus as God. Because he creates, which makes sense. When we look at the very beginning of John and we recognize that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And through the word, all things were made. Jesus is the creator element. It makes sense that Jesus, the word, the creator, can create. It's not. It's not an obscure thing for him. This is normal. He turned water into wine. That's transformation. Okay. But this, this isn't just merely transformation. This is creation. You can't do that. How does this work? You can't make five barley, five loaves and two fish feed 15 to 20 or even 5,000 people. Right? This is, this is an amazing thing. This is quite the amazing thing that we have witnessed here, that it is recorded, and it's recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. So the prophet, this is a, a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, which says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Okay. The, recogni the recognized, right? They recognize, another typo, great. They recognize that this was like manna in the desert. They recognize because they know the story, right? They're, oh, that is one of the main stories they've always heard is being fed manna in the desert. They recognize that what just happened was like their ancestors being fed manna in the desert. And that Jesus... 
was who Moses proclaimed would come and that they should listen and follow. They should listen and follow. They recognized this. They recognized that they put the pieces together on this one and recognized we should follow Jesus with this one. All right, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus did this a lot, and this is something we don't do enough. Let's be honest and real. We do not do this enough, especially in our American culture and American society. We want to just keep going. You got to just keep pushing. You got to keep pushing. I get it. I really do. I do that all the time. But sometimes we've got to withdraw, take time in prayer, asking God for guidance and what we should do. Spend time with God. Okay. The Jewish people were expecting the Messiah to be a military leader, to lead them to victory over the Romans, and to be their earthly king. Jesus' first kingship, his first coming, is a spiritual kingship. And they didn't recognize that. Okay. It wasn't something that they understood. Okay. But his first kingship is a spiritual kingship. So Jesus then leaves them to go be by himself and to pray. And I say that that's not in the John version, but it is in some of the other versions that he goes to pray, right? So Jesus goes and he goes to pray. He shows us a great example of our need to lean into the Father in distressing times, right? We need to lean into the Father in these distressing times. All right, what can we take away from this? A few things. Jesus has had already developed a following of people drawn to him because of the healing that he had done, right? They recognized power. People are intrigued by power. They weren't following him because they believed he was the Messiah per se. They were following because they recognized this guy's got power. This guy can do things. I want to see more, right? It was kind of an, it was entertaining. And yet it was also a, maybe he can do something for me. Okay, so Jesus had power, and people were marveled by his power. Jesus utilized opportunities to teach his disciples and those around him. He took heed to people's needs, not merely their desires. And this is something that we need to recognize that God does all the time. God is concerned with our desires, yes, but he is more concerned with our needs, our needs. And we need to recognize he sees the big picture. He sees the long haul and he recognizes the needs of everyone. And he cares about the needs of you, right? He cares about your needs, but he recognizes the big picture and he wants to weave things together so that your needs are met. The ultimate good for you is met, not just a little bit. And sometimes a little bit of pain here makes for a lot of joy there, right? In the future. We need to trust God, right? The people here needed food. And Jesus used the opportunity to show, not to say that he was God, but to show that he was God in the flesh. To show that by doing what God does, 
by providing miraculous, right? It's amazing. All right, much like manna in the desert, Jesus used the poor and average ingredients, okay? There are accounts of manna, people would get so tired of it, burn out. It was not, from my understanding, it's not a great dish. It's not like, hey, hey, can I, yeah, I mean, I, I see you've got a, this delicious chocolate cake. Can I have some manna instead, right? It wasn't like a great thing. It was a, you can survive on this. Here you go, okay? So much like that. Much like that, Jesus uses barley loaves, the bread that most people didn't want. It was beneath most people, but it's what they had, right? Use that. And dried or pickled fish. It wasn't even fresh fish, even though they were right next to a lake that they considered a sea because it was so great and so big. They used what they had. That wasn't necessarily what people wanted, right? It might not have been what they wanted, but it's what they needed. And this is also true with their wanting a military leader versus what they need and what they needed. God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way we want. And we need to learn that it's better that way. That's such a hard thing for us to grasp sometimes, but it's the truth. We need to learn that it is better that God doesn't always give us what we want. He's God. We're not. We need to worship him and not ask him to worship us. And I know that sounds like a really conceited thing to say, but think about it. If we expect God to abide by our will all the time, if we think we know better than God, God, this isn't what I wanted. What are, you, what are you doing? What are we doing? Right? If, you, if all we want is a God that will give us what we want when we want, we're not asking for a God. Some say that's asking for a genie. Some say that's asking for whatever. It's, you're asking for a puppy that will just come whenever you call its name. It's not God. We need to trust God that he is better than we are. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. Trust him. Trust God and what he's doing. Thank you, God, for today, for your word, for this miracle that it's recorded in all four of the Gospels, that we can correlate this. This amazing feat of feeding at least 5,000, if not upwards to 20,000 people. Showing this as a reference to the feeding in the desert with manna. God, we thank you for your provision. That when we truly need, you're there. In ways that we can't seem to understand or comprehend, you're there. God, thank you so much for that. We ask that you continue to bless. We ask that you continue to fulfill the needs. God, we also ask that you encourage us, encourage us, and show us what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Because sometimes, and we know this, sometimes you use us to fulfill the needs of others. So God, give us the courage and the strength to step out and to do that when it is that you have called us to do that. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I thank you guys so much for being here today and for uh, hopefully being entertained by some fun technical issues. Yeah, it happens, right? But it's a good thing. We're learning. We're growing. This is a great, great book of the Bible that we're going through. The Gospel According to John is a fantastic one. I'm still excited to be continuing to go through this. I hope you guys are too. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. We will, or a great weekend, rest of the week end, and a great week next week. We'll talk to you guys next time. Clearly, I need more coffee. All right, later. Bye-bye.